Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew uh, 27. Matthew 27. I want to encourage you to use your Bible. It's, um, there's something about holding the Word of God and reading it and writing in it and reminding yourself of the things that God spoke to you in His presence and seeing the underlying passages that stands out to you, highlighting it. It's, it's, it really speaks back to you and it makes this Word become alive to you and your journey. You're literally documenting your journey as you go along in it. So if this is going to be our manual for life, our roadmap for life, I want to encourage you to get you a physical Bible and start putting your face in that thing and see how it transforms your life. Today we're in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, I'm reading from verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. Until the ninth hour, three hours, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it, remember they were Romans and they were people who spoke different languages. He said, oh, he must be calling Elijah. (laughs) And one of them at once ran and took a rod with sponge, filled it, Uh, with a sponge on the front, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, 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 let's see if Elijah will come to save him, mocking him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened. And many bodies of saints who have fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after this resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion, the Roman guard, and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, saw what took place. They were filled with awe and they said, truly this was the Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. That must have been an incredible encounter for people who were serving an entire different concept of religion. And the Romans had all their, their gods and, you know, deities that they could choose from. And, and yet they recognized something significant about what happened in that moment. And they proclaimed that this must be the Son of God. We've been preaching on little big miracles that took place around the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, today's mark, today marks 26 days until we celebrate Ascension Day. That's the moment when Jesus ascended to be with the Father. And he gave us the promise of his replacement, the helper that would come. And he said, it would be good for me to go because if I go, then the helper can come. And that helper refers to what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out over the followers of God. And they were empowered to be witnesses. Um, And so we like to talk about, you know, all uh, the effects that the cross had on our world um, and the spiritual significance of the cross. And and sometimes we forget the details of the, the, the events that happened around the cross. During the crucifixion. But they hold such 
depth and richness for our walk with God and our foundation of faith. The fact that we can stand on these truths and not be shaken when life's storms come. Many of us have received miracles over the past couple of months and past years also, but especially we've been trusting God for His divine intervention, and that's how we've been defining it, His divine intervention in human affairs. And I don't know about you, but this world constantly causes us to need God to intervene (laughs) in our affairs. And so it's worthwhile understanding that the spiritual world interacts with this natural world. It's not aloof. It's not so separated that it is so far away. Sometimes our Western mindsets cause us to not understand the significance of the spiritual world. But if you go to any other um, um, continent, and especially in tribal nations, you find that they're way more aware of the spiritual world than us in the West. And how much the spiritual world actually determines what happens in the physical world. And it's, it's, it's good for us to learn from them to understand maybe not necessarily the gods that they serve or the spiritual forces that they serve, but the concept that the spiritual world is close. I like to explain it like this. If you could just make a quick cut in our reality, literally peek through it on the other side, that's where it is. It's not far away. It's right with us. It's just in a dimension that we don't see, but it interacts with this world. And that's how God intervenes from this dimension into our reality. And that's why he is close. He is not far away. And while we can, um, while we can believe that he will interact with us and answer our prayers and even hear us when we pray. Because he's way closer than we may, um, you know, may, may, may think. But what requires for us is to stay humble and desperate. Just stay humble and desperate before him. You know, there's nothing that shuts down the work of God like entitlement. I said that last week. If you think you're entitled to something, God goes, okay, well then, you go and figure it out. That pride just makes God sit back immediately. Immediately. Because what he sees is that everything we're given is from grace, from his goodness. It's not because we deserve it. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you think you deserve. In light of who God is, He's grandeur, we're all just incredibly blessed recipients of His grace and His goodness. And to position yourself like that before God enables Him to say, all right, I'll give you grace because you're humble. But the proud, He'll just resist that. He'll just resist that. So let's humble ourselves today before the Word of God. Will you make a declaration? Stand with me so we can position ourselves before His Word. Humble ourselves. But see what humbling ourselves means. Because humble doesn't mean that I am looking down on myself. It means that I look at myself correctly through the view of Scripture. So let's make this declaration together. Y'all ready? One, two, three. This is the Word of God. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Therefore, I declare boldly. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been forgiven and set free. I have mountain-moving faith. The Holy Spirit empowers me to be a witness. 
My heart is receptive and my mind is alert. I'm ready to receive from the incorruptible, imperishable, everlasting word of God. Today's word will accomplish all that it's sent out to do in me. I will never be the same. Father, we praise you. We thank you that your word will fall into the fertile ground of our hearts today. And it will produce a harvest of righteousness, changing us into your ever, ever increasingly into your image, Jesus. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're talking about the three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. And the self-sacrifice of Jesus. We've defined his miracles as a divine intervention. And we know that the greatest intervention of all probably is the cross itself, right? But this moment at 12, at noon, has a very peculiar event taking place. And, and I want to read from the Old Testament that is a prophecy about that moment. And we find it in Amos 8 verse 9. It will be on the screen. It says, And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I shall make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Again, one of those prophecies that got fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Showing us that he is the true Messiah. The one that they've been waiting upon. But how peculiar. The earth becoming dark in the middle of the day. And so both the, all three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Report this event of total darkness. That occurred midday. Preceding Jesus' death. So dark that many well-known non-Jewish authors of antiquity have, have written about this event in, the, in their historic writings. And others have quoted them about this event because it was such a radical thing that happened that it was noteworthy. And what they wrote about this event was just incredibly de descriptive depictions of, 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 of the characteristics of that darkness. Some would say that, you know, this darkness was so dark that it would even cause the, 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 the stars to come out. And many would have asked, well, what could have caused this darkness in the middle of the day? And, and some naturalistic explanations have tried to kind of like come up with, with ideas, you know, because we do know that these things do occur in nature. You know, eclipses happen. And, 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 and cloud cover, sometimes you'll drive on the I-10 and all of a sudden it feels like you're literally driving into dawn. No, into dusk, you know, it's dusk till dawn, dawn. To dawn, like the sun's, sun's just going down on you all of a sudden. But none of these explanations really satisfy what we've read about this event. An eclipse only lasts for a couple of minutes. And there is no way that astrology have found that that, if, if they took the patterns and they, and, and they go back, you know, they can predict these things forward so they can look at them back when they happened. That that was even the time when eclipses would have happened. That, 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 that explanation didn't satisfy it. The second thing they thought was, well, maybe cloud cover. Maybe sometimes, you know, it does get dark when clouds cover. But it just doesn't match up with the descriptions of people saying, yeah, it became so dark they literally had to light lamps. And where do you see stars if the clouds make it so dark? So you've got to understand that there was something more happening here than just a natural occurrence. This was outside of our realm. There was something supernatural taking place for it to be this dark for three hours from 12 till 3 in the afternoon. 
So let's discuss the spiritual realities that was happening during this time on the cross and find maybe truer reasons for why it could have been this dark and why this miraculous event took place. The first thing we know biblically about darkness is that it's associated with judgment. In so many ways, in so many metaphors, in so many descriptions, the Bible refers to darkness in a context of God's judgment. And we know that in this moment, God was judging Jesus. God was judging Jesus. He took all of humanity's sin and placed it in one, on one person's shoulders. So if you can imagine all of the evil of mankind, the worst of the worst of us, what comes to mind for you? Just horrible things, right? Just almost unspeakable things. God took all of that evil and he concentrated it. And he added it to Jesus's list of accusations. And though innocent, he then sentenced Jesus to be punished for all of that. In that one moment, with all of that sin present, I think the world just became a reflection of that spiritual reality, of the darkness of all that concentrated evil. You see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For God made the only one who did not know no sin to become sin for us. It wasn't just that Jesus, um, uh, that he took our sin away. No, he took it upon himself. His, he became sin on our behalf so that we, and this is added to for, for clarification, who did not know righteousness? Because the Bible says no one was righteous. We who did not know righteousness might become and it's important that we understand the language here. It's become. It means that we become something different. It's not now I start doing better. So much of, 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 of the world's religion just tells you, hey, you need to be a better person. Christianity says, no, that won't help you. You need to become something new. Unless you become something new, there is no hope for you to get rid of your sin. That was just her saying, Amen. <laughs> From the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise. Don't, don't go away. Just let her praise. You're fine right there. He said that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. But it's through our union with him. It's not through our works. It's not through our effort. It's through our union with him. That gives you hope because I don't know about you. I'm a pretty lousy, you know, performing. I don't closely perform to being perfect. But because of my union with him. 
God's judgment that was meant for me was placed on Jesus Christ. The second thing happening in the spiritual world at that moment is a separation. Jesus confirmed this when he was calling out the behind the scenes reality of what was happening. So imagine, all we're seeing is we're seeing the cross. One, two, three guys on the cross. We see the Roman people. We see some weeping people. Um, and that's the scene. It's outside. It's on a hill. It's visible. It's dark. But that's all we see. But Jesus lets us see behind the scenes a little bit. When he screams out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. You need to realize that when he shouted that, he was revealing something that was happening to him in the spiritual world. He experienced separation from God. He was separated from God. How many of you have ever felt like forsaken by God? God, 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 forgive, forgot about me. I don't know where God is. I, I feel far away from God. Let me tell you this. Once you understand that Jesus was separated from God, you can never, ever think like that again. Here's why. God forsook Jesus so that he never has to forsake you. So remember that the next time your physical world appears to tell you that God has forsaken you. Remember to look at the spiritual reality behind that scene that you can, you can, you can experience with your physical senses and your logic. And remember that God forsook Jesus so that he never has to forsake you. Whatever that experience is telling you, it's a lie. It's not true about God. Verse 50 of 27 says, Jesus passionately cried out and then took his last breath and he gave up his spirit. Why is it important that it says here, he gave up his spirit. You know, no man can do that. Only Jesus was, had the authority to do that. We read of that in, in John 10, verse 17, 18. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it back up again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This commandment I received from my Father. That's John 10, verse 17 to 18. You know, this is amazing, and this is so important that we understand this. In one last moment of passionate love, Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, you've heard that before. It is finished. It is done. I have done the work. And he sacrificed himself on our behalf. He gave up his life. What we don't realize is that at any moment, Jesus could have gotten off of that cross. At any moment, he could have just said, I have had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. And he could have gotten off of that cross. This was self-sacrifice. Jesus gave himself for us. Why is that important? It's important that you know that God did not murder his son. 
And because God never acted that way toward his son, he will never act that way towards you. He will never act that way towards you. You never have to doubt and wonder whether God is doing something to you that is, that is punishing you. Whether God is doing something to you because he's mad at you. God wants to do something to you because he's disappointed at you. He didn't do that to Jesus. He wouldn't dare that to you. Jesus gave himself up. By say, so John said, John says, by his own initiative. That means he went to the Father and says, Father, I will give myself for them and on behalf of them so that you and I and them can be united. And then God sent his Son into this world so that the world might not through him be condemned but saved. That's the heart of our God. We have a good God. And no matter what you've done, if you believe in Christ, you still have him in your corner. If things are going bad and wrong and things are looking like all hell is breaking loose over you, you still have him in your corner. Jesus experienced the separation on his own volition so that you and I never have to. So that you and I can have the guarantee of God's presence, the guarantee of God being in our corner. And that no matter how hard it is right now, He will pull you through. Romans 8 says this, So now we live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Jesus conquered the highest power that would separate man from God, and that is death. There is no other power able to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our future circumstances that can weaken this love. Romans 8.39 says, There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Nothing can separate us. So here's what I want to ask you, saints. Listen to me closely. Never blame God for your darkness. Never blame God for the darkness that you find and see around us or in your life. Never do that. It's an insult. He's a good God. He's in your corner. He dealt with the separation in Jesus. He will never forsake you. The darkness is always a result of this world's brokenness and the presence of evil. Some reason that another reason why it was so dark in the middle of the day was because of the concentration of demonic presence that was there to witness the greatest victory, or so they thought, of their lifetime. Everybody was looking at their biggest enemy, the only one who could wreak havoc to their kingdom, being killed and being eliminated. There was a great cloud of witnesses of the dark side. And it's just reflected in the natural. It drowned out the physical sunlight. Sometimes the devil goes havoc on your life. 
Sometimes it feels like darkness is just pressing down on you. And there could be multiple reasons why, but the best thing you can do is to acknowledge God's presence in your life and His willingness to be with you and start pushing back on that darkness and say, I am not going to take this. This is not rightfully here. Get out of my life in Jesus' name. Get off my property. Because you have the authority to say so. Because you know that God is good and He's for you. And he's not the author of this darkness coming at you. You can resist it. The Bible says when the enemy comes like a flood, God will raise up a standard. But so often when we don't want to acknowledge the goodness of God, we want somehow to blame God for the things. We actually disempower ourselves from being able to stand and have faith and have hope that things will resolve. No, we have to fight with the truth of what God says about us in His Word. We have the right to the conditions of the kingdom of God in our lives. You have the right. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And, of a, and as a citizen of a kingdom, you have a certain set of rights. In the kingdom of God, you have the right to peace. You have the right to joy. You have the right to experience the presence of God. Because you have been accepted. You don't have to work for it. That's why it says, come boldly into the throne room of grace. To find help in time of need. Just come. Come boldly. You don't have to ask permission again. Permission was granted the, the, the first time you said, Jesus, I believe in you and I give you my life. Now it's, it's free entrance. We'll talk about that more next week when I get it myself. <laughs> you have a right to the conditions of the king. Robert says the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's not in our efforts of religious you know, works. It's in right thinking. Thinking about yourself right according to what the Bible says about you. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the, God, of, of the living God. I'm welcome at his table. You have a right to the conditions, the presence of the king, because you're a son and a daughter. But those conditions only come if you seek his kingdom's ways. Listen to me closely. Everything this word has is available to you and I. It's available. But it's not automatic. Why is it not automatic? If there was no sin nature in us that we are fighting the remnants of, if there was no evil in the world working against this, it would be automatic. What am I describing? Heaven. No sin nature, no evil. Then the conditions will be permanent and it will be automatic. But we're not there yet. So now we have to contend. And only God's ways produces those outcomes. You cannot expect to get God's outcomes if you don't follow His ways. We have to come to terms with what, our, what is our responsibility in this. 
And when our outcomes have produced consequences as a result of our own bad decisions, as a result of our own bad ways, then we can't be blaming God. No, best you could do is just repent and say, Lord, teach me always. Guide me in your truth so that I may, some, I may see a different outcome in my life from here on forward. The longer you delay that, the longer you keep fighting for your way to be the way that he accepts, the longer you'll be frustrated by the outcomes that doesn't look like his outcomes. Just bow your knee and follow his ways. That's all he wants for you because he wants you to have life in abundance. But he won't compromise because he's holy. For him, holiness means the process has to be just as holy for the product to be holy. The end never justifies the means. You can't think that, oh, I'm going to just, you know, you know, do it my way and, and, and it'll work out. It doesn't work that way. You have stepped into a kingdom. A kingdom as a ruler. And he expects allegiance. But he has dealt with the separation. And you will never be separated from him again. The third thing that was happening on the cross during that moment was the transaction. There was a transaction happening on the cross. Sometimes we feel forsaken because we don't realize that a legal transaction took place on the cross. Colossians 2 verse 13 puts it this way. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There was a legality that had to be satisfied for your and my release. For God to be a righteous being, He had to stick to His own rules. And according to His own rules, where there was a transgression, there had to be a payment, a recompense, a consequence. And we know biblically the Bible says that the penalty for our sin was that we had to die and be eternally separated from God. That was the penalty. There was a legality. God couldn't just say, oh, by the way, I don't like that anymore. He had to stick. If God asks you to stick by His word, it's because He sticks by His word. He will not compromise His word. And so He cannot allow you to just go and compromise the word and it'd be okay. No, He will come and correct. He will come and guide and lead. But not from a place of judgment and separation or, or punishment. No, He comes with His word. Instruction, inspiration, love. Right? But there was a legality and it had to be satisfied before we could be released. And it says this He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. 
The cross was a legal transaction. Your life for His. Your life for His. Beloved, our debt has been paid. Our debt has been paid. You are debt free. Tell the guy next to you, you are debt free. There's no accusation against you anymore. You are debt free. When I was growing up, we were pretty poor and um, we often had, you know, the sheriff of the court come to our house to claim things in our homes to pay back our, you know, debts to our creditors. (laughs) It was a constant reality we lived in because we were in such debt that they deemed if they don't start claiming our property, the debt will never be repaid. It's amazing how when the debt is paid, the judge calls the sheriff and says, leave that guy alone. His debt's been cleared. They've got plenty of other things to do. They're not going to come knocking on a door that they don't need to be knocking on no more. Your debt has been cleared. No one's coming to accuse you that has a legal reason anymore to do so. So when you feel accused, when you feel that you're indebted, it's just a lie. It's literally the enemy trying to trick you. It's a scam. It's a scam. It's fraud. The devil is a liar. And he's going to try and scam you into feeling guilty, into feeling that you still owe a debt. He's going to scam you into thinking that God has rejected you, that God is is punishing you, that God is drawing back from you. But you have to resist that because legally you are debt free and he has no right to lay an accusation at your feet anymore. A legal transaction took place on the cross and you can stand on your right of freedom because the judge has cleared your name. And the devil has no authority or legal right to keep you bound up in stuff anymore. But he will try. And here's the problem. If you believe his lies, he will succeed. How many of you have been scammed from money? Did you get your money back? Probably not. (laughs) He will succeed. Don't believe him. Understand what happened at the cross. Here's the last thing that happened there. It's the triumph. The triumph. Colossians 2.15 says then he went and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Listen to me. If evil or darkness is persisting in your life, you can look the devil in the face and you can declare to him, hey, yo, my victory is inevitable. Do you hear me? Inevitable. You cannot overcome me. My victory is inevitable because I am in Christ and you have already been disarmed. You have nothing on me. So get out of my life and get out of my property. 
But y'all, we, st- we don't stand on our authority. But the cross gives you authority to stand. The cross gives you the right to say to him to leave in Jesus' name. You've got to stand up and claim what is rightfully yours, what is legally yours. And that is your righteousness and your freedom from anything that's holding you bound. Sometimes you got to just declare the promises. Even if it takes you my whole life, I will stand with Jesus when he crushes your head one day. I will stand with Jesus. But until then, you need to know that whatever you bring my way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God will work out all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He ain't putting me down. With my God, I can run against any army. I can overcome any obstacle. Because my God is good. Jesus took my place of judgment. I'm legally free and I share in the victory of my risen Savior. Come on, y'all. I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to start praying right now over those those challenges and accusations, those threats and diagnoses, those mountains of impossibility. I want you to start speaking to them. Tell them, move in the name of Jesus. Move in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've heard man say. They might be experts, but they are not God. You will take the Word of God. You will declare it over their expert opinion because the Word of God remained the final authority because I'm a citizen of the kingdom. Tell that thing to move in the name of Jesus. Right now, pray, 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 pray. If you can pray in tongues right now, pray, pray, pray to the Lord your God for a release over the things that are happening. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we ask God that you will move in our spirit, in our midst, Lord. That you will, that you will see, uh, help the, the reality of the spiritual world manifest in our world in our physical world, that people will be debt-free financially. People will be healed physically. People will be healed emotionally, Father, in 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 their emotions, Father. People will be healed in their hearts, Lord. We pray for a healing balm to just descend over us, Father, like dew, and we come and be refreshed by it. We wake up in the morning and we're just well, God. We thank you for breakthroughs, Father, and people that are trusting you for businesses. Breakthroughs, Lord God, for people who are trusting you for for increase so that they can expand your kingdom more. Holy Spirit, come and just move among us, Lord. We invite you and we say to the obstacles, move in the name of Jesus. You have no legal right to be here. We are done with you. Because my God reigns supreme over every circumstance. Yes, He is sovereign, but He is sovereignly good. Oh, Lord, come and meet with us. We need you, God. We need you. Father, we take what you have offered. We receive what you have offered, Lord. May your kingdom come in our midst. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. You know, there's a 
verse in the Bible that, <laughs> that talks about kingdom living. And it says, Ever since John the Baptist walked on the earth, the kingdom of God has been suffering. Because there's resistance. The devil tried his best to keep Jesus out of the mix. The devil tried his best to get rid of Jesus. The devil tried his best to get rid of his disciples. Every single last one of them except John was killed. Why is all this happening? Because the devil is trying to get the church off the earth. But the Bible ends up by saying, but the violent takes the kingdom back by force. I'm sorry, y'all, but Christianity is not a religion. It's not meant for the passive. It's not meant for those who, who wants to just do nothing. It's meant for those who want to see the will of God happen on this piece of dirt. And those who take it are going to be the ones who, who, who live it. Those who go forth and claim it and start walking in it are going to be the ones who experience it. And so it's a call to step into the authority that God has given us and to start standing on His promises and not take no for an answer any longer. The kingdom of darkness is advancing and we have to catch up. But let me say this. Don't take a fatalistic point of view about what's happening in America. Uh -uh, Don't, don't. Things are shaking because God is moving. We'll get to that next week. When God moves, things shake. When God moves, the enemy resists. He responds. God initiates. God's initiating change in this nation. And God wants to see His goodness come on this nation. Can the church wake up and start claiming and walking that? So what does that mean for you? Hi. You go build your part of the wall. Every one of us has a part of the wall that we're standing in front of. Your kids are a part of your wall. Your marriage is a part of your wall. Your holiness is a part of your wall. Your spiritual response and relationship with Jesus is a part of your wall. Go build. Go build that. As you walk out these doors, there are people around you that are not Christians. Go and speak to them about it. Start the conversation. Don't be mad at them. Love them. They don't know what they don't know. Go show them the awesome goodness of our Father. And then remember, you're not building alone. Your wall has to link with guys next to you. Otherwise, what are you going to protect? (laughs) They'll just come around your wall. How many links are you creating? Increases your safety and your security. Go and build with others. Build your marriage with a couple of other people building their marriages. Raise your children in the light of the Lord along with the other couple of people that are life groups, being, being a part of the community. That's how we do this, y'all. Not rocket science, 
but it's intentional, it's relational, it's powerful. It's powerful. Let me just pray for you as we send you out. Holy Spirit, thank you that you move in our hearts and you empower us today to be witnesses for your kingdom as we leave those doors. Father, we thank you for the season in the cinema. We thank you for the growth. We thank you for the recovery. And we thank you for the new season. Lead us there, Lord. Go ahead of us there, Lord. And we'll come meet you there. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.